Paranormal Truth and Reality with host Chris Houston. A show for those with a passion for the paranormal. And now, welcome to the show. Welcome to Paranormal Truth and Reality. I'm your host, Christopher Houston, and we are here tonight with Angela Bolley. Angela Bolley's a fascinating lady. We've had a chance to talk a couple of times, once at Post Town, actually. She's an amazing artist. She also has some unique gifts, so we're going to talk about her talents a little bit tonight. We're also going to talk about uh, her experiences. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on with you. Yeah, it's a long time coming. I know we spoke a couple of times on it. We just never touched base until recently. <laughs> Well, so, finally, great. Go ahead. Let's just jump straight in. Tell me a little bit about um, what got you into the paranormal. We'll just start there. I start that with every guest, and then we'll just kind of let the conversation rise as it goes. Well, I've had a near-death experience, and after that experience of being dead and coming back, I started to have much stronger, more intense, more frequent paranormal experiences. And eventually it got to the point where it was so intense I couldn't avoid it anymore, that this is going to be my life and there's something really different about me. When I was about 20 years old and I was getting ready to go to college, I just graduated high school and it was that space in between high school and college where I had a little bit of time, maybe a couple of months before I had to start classes. And it was a beautiful day. I was saying, I want to go out for a walk. So before I went out for a walk, I thought, well, I'm going to turn around and I need to get my jacket. It's kind of crisp and cold out here. So I went to grab my jacket and there was a person standing there, a man who had been skinned to the bone, the most bloodiest, goriest thing I've ever seen. Um, I mean, his eyes were just left in his head. He had stonewashed jeans, high top. Um, they had kind of flared at the bottom, like bell bottoms and high-top white tennis shoes on, and he was leaning over me and talking to me, and I knew that this person could not be a living person, judging by the condition he was in, and I just went into shock. I felt every hair on my head just stand on end, and it really felt like I had the most extreme sense of cold. And he was talking, but he was talking in my mind, even though his mouth was moving, there was no voice, no sound. The sound was in my mind. And he was saying, oh, man, I should have been like you. I should have gone to college. But, you know, I smoked I smoked weed all through school, and I got a factory job. And then I was killed on the job, first day on the job. I was just out there. And he, he, went, he kept complaining and, like, bemoaning himself for the decisions that he made. And he explained to me how he was uh, loading food trays onto a conveyor belt, and he got caught in the conveyor belt. And it, it basically skinned him very quickly because it was moving quite fast. And he got caught in the machinery. And he t even told me the exact location. He said he still, he could feel me going by every day. And all he wanted to do was reach out to me because he knew, he knew that I, he, I could see him and we could communicate. And he was just taking this opportunity to try to get help from me. I didn't know how to help him. But I know I was in shock at that moment, and I needed to walk away and take a few breaths. And I said, you know, thank you so much for coming to me, but I, please come back. I'm going to 
take a step outside and go for a walk, but I will come back, but you're welcome to come back and we can continue this conversation. And I, I thought for sure I would have blood all over the floors because he was visceral. He was very physically present and the carpet was covered in blood from him bleeding so much. It was just the gushing blood um, everywhere. But his high top shoes, they were glowing like they were in sunlight. And it was incredible. And I thought about that experience on my walk. And I thought, well, this is just going to be my life. I'm going to have to be into the paranormal, whether I like it or not. <laughs> I'm involved. I better be interested in this and figure out how this works. Because if people are going to just show up like this and potentially surprise me or shock me or kind of go through my boundaries, I better figure out how to deal with this. So that's how I got into the paranormal, basically, and got more interested into it in order to figure out a better way of coping with this in order to accept it and kind of live with the gifts that I have in such a way that they're not uh, harmful to me and in such a way that could help these souls who are trying to get help from me and also reach out to the living as well. Very interesting. Now, I myself, we've had these discussions. I myself am, am not a medium. Um, I have met several that are very interesting. I obviously, and you and I talked about this at Post Town, Post Town look at the scientific resolutions on how people can be a medium. Uh, and in my experiences, a lot of times it's similar to what, uh, what you mentioned. Either you have an event in your life that opens that um, or the brain itself in some strange way, in some instances, activates specific areas of the mind. And reality is we only use a very small percentage of our brain. Um, but uh, it's amazing to talk to people like yourself because each person sees these things a little bit different. Some people see them very physically, more physically. Some people only hear certain percentages. Some people don't see it all or hear it all but only get bits and pieces of it. Um, so I think it really fascinates me. If that makes any sense. <laughs> it, it is very fascinating. And really, my original goal when I was going to college or thinking about going to college was going to the scientific field as a very um, scientific aspect or very analytical. And so after this experience, I actually did some research. I said, wonder if there's any validation to this or was this an hallucination or what was it? He gave me so much information. I was able to go to the Department of um, labor and Safety and Hygiene, or Department of Labor here, records, public records for that location. And, in fact, I found his death record. Exactly, it happened exactly at his, as he described it. And it happened in 1979, which the way he was talking, he's using man at the end of every single word. If you look at the way of his dress, he's kind of had the flare bottoms like you would have had in the 70s. Stonewash jeans was popular, so was the high-top shoes. So everything's matched up, and I was blown away by that, um, how accurate and how cognizant he was. Even though he's deceased, in the spirit world, he was aware of the passage of time. He kind of knew me, and i never even been to that location. I've been, never been inside it. I just drove by in my car on the way to school. And that was really fascinating. How did we connect? How did he reach out to me? How did he feel me or sense me going by that set him and to put forth all of his energy in trying to contact me. And that's something that the science would have to explain 
we got a little bit of maybe an inkling with Einstein's theory of what he called spooky action at a distance. When you have one molecule, one in the universe and one in the other, and they will act in the same manner at the same time and travel the same rates. Perhaps there's some sort of uh, connection. Perhaps the space itself, distance, is an illusion in our world. And it's my impression from my experiences, and this is my impression, and maybe science will bear this out, and it seems to be leaning that direction, is that our world is the holographic world where it's an illusion of space, and it's actually 2D, the delusion of a 3D universe, where the spirit world is actually in three dimensions. And maybe that's why they can walk through walls. They just went out there. Anytime I'm on the other side, everything is so much has so much more depth to it. And it feels more real than this world. And this world feels like the hologram, and that world seems like it's so much more solid and more deep than ours. Well, you know what? It's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, the scientific community of the past is what most people look on. Now, when we look at early scientific community in the past, when you started to talk about the paranormal, there were only two avenues. Avenue one, proven hoax. Avenue true, unproven nonsense. <laughs> but as we advance through science today it looks a little bit differently for instance there are scientists in harvard university as well as mit and several other universities that work with quantum physics their last theory that was developed about seven and a half years ago and brought present about four and a half years ago states that all things move in motion together based off of Einstein's theory with the molecule separation for instance you take one molecule move it thousands of miles billions of miles away and the other molecule you can move one up the other one goes up you can move one down the other one goes down having a ghost effect you can't explain um, they actually state that reality is that's the way time which we define time Time in itself doesn't really exist in their version. Space, all of this coexists at the same matter. Everything is connected in one way, shape, or form. Therefore, what you're experiencing, you may be living here in this reality, but if all dimensions are traveling the same, all times are traveling the same, all spaces are traveling the same, and everything is connected, it's very plausible that what you just said could happen. Absolutely. Because you're connected i.e. we're all connected in different ways. Now, some of those connections happen in the brain different ways. Maybe an accident hap- caused that reaction for the brain to start zooming into things that other people think. Sometimes some people say it comes naturally. Either way, whatever it is, these are the things that I talk about all the time. The paranormal has become a very closed-minded industry in the past 25 years. When parapsychology before 1981 was around, scientists were looking at this, and there were a lot of theories and a lot of things, and it was bounced around, and some of them got thrown away, but as it disappeared, real scientists kept looking, and the reality is there is more out there that can't be explained. Slowly but surely, we're starting to explain these, but the community's not looking, if that makes sense. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense. I've, I know there's been past studies for example, another personal interest of mine is the lucid dreaming because that just seemed like – this seems like with a lot of people who are sensitive, a lot of them are lucid dreamers, which you are aware of the fact that you're dreaming and have some sort of influence in your dream. So I'm very interested in that. 
and I was looking at that. People were, as far back in the 60s and 70s, were showing up and, and doing these studies and saying, well, this is a real thing, lucid dreaming, and is it possible that telepathy is possible between people? Is premonition and precognition possible? And now there's now this come out saying that, yes, premonition is possible. And they even noticed as far back as the 60s that some same dream characters, that would be the exact same person. We're not talking about an archetype or something that is purely psychological, would appear in one person's dream and then go and appear in somebody else's dream as if these were actual people traveling around and visiting other people's dreams. And there's no explanation for that. They had absolutely no explanation why that would even be. But people kept ignoring the evidence of that. Now they're looking back at it again and seeing all the health benefits from that. And there is just so much more that a whole area of the mind that's not even been tapped into yet that also seems to be related to psychic phenomena, premonitions, that we innately have the ability to express within ourselves, within our own minds. And that's incredible. That's very exciting that people are finally starting to accept it. But for the longest time, when any, any development in that field would occur, people would just ignore it. Yeah. Well, it is an amazing time. Um, even though even though the time is being – I hate to say this, but it's being conglomerated down and beaten down by media and TV and people's assumptions it goes a certain way, and then that's been brought in for the past 20 years or so because, well, the TV personalities I know are great people, and they did their job really well. <laughs> um but uh, it is an amazing time as well because if you step beyond that and you actually take the time to dig in deep and really talk to universities, go past all the silly assumptions and the wackadoo is what I like to call it. It's a terrible thing, listeners. I don't mean to put anybody down. I love everybody's personal experiences. Everybody is always welcome to talk about it. They're always fascinating. But the bottom line is there's some pretty wackadoo stuff in the paranormal. <laughs> um, right. And uh, once you get past all of that, though, it's very fascinating. You can connect those little things and those realities that sometimes, for instance, people like yourself, you're looked at one of two ways. You're looked at by people like me that are fascinated with what you have to say and your experiences. Or you're looked at by the other half that just kind of look at you like you're a nutcase. I know I've, I've been looked at that way. So, um, But if you move past all of that, move past the fact that you, you – don't 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 look at it as a well I don't believe her or I do believe her. Look at the real science. Try to connect the dots. Try to put A and B together. Real paranormal study is about doing that. You have experiences other people don't have. My job is to log and category those experiences, talk to you about them, find out if I can find a link and see if it is true. Ninety nine percent of the time, if you take the time to do that, you will find little things that make you go, huh. It is true right. rather than it's not. You'll find a few things that are – it's not true um, that are explained. Most of that stuff has already been explained. People just choose not to listen. It's the stuff that's not explained that becomes fascinating, and we're slowly but surely getting to the point to where a lot of that is becoming explainable. People just don't want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's hard to accept, 
if they've been living in one reality, one mindset all the time. And just an example, if, it was, if it's okay if I go in and tell how, what I experienced during death, just so people get, and this is something that really is important from a scientific perspective, because at the age which I, which I died, I was a child. I didn't have the indoctrination. I wasn't old enough. <laughs> I didn't have any, there wasn't any time to sit there and to a doctor make me what is, what is death, what is life after death, or whether it's, any, whether it's God or exist or not. There wasn't any of that. So from a child's perspective, you kind of have a, a more of a pure form, untainted or uninfluenced sort of experience from that, just experiencing as, from the perspective of a child as opposed to adult that comes to that experience with a lot of maybe influence from their religion or influence from media, what they're what they expecting. So that is distinct from an adult's death experience compared to mine as a child. Now, when I had accidentally overdosed aspirin, and by the way, I live in an extremely paranormal, paranormally active house at the time, and the aspirin bottle, the lid was simply left off, and the aspirin spilled out on the counter, and nobody in nobody in the house could explain how that could possibly be, because my mother was always very cautious about keeping things up and away, like up on a shelf somewhere. So how did this end up being low on a tabletop with the lid popped off, and all the aspirin spilled out was if somebody deliberately poured the bottle out and just let a trail of aspirin across the table, which I mistook for candy. I thought it was one of those, you remember those little sweet tarts, those little packages we had back then. Maybe the younger generation probably may not remember, but I had all of it. Started to feel very queasy, and I didn't know why I was feeling so weak. I told my mom what I did, and she realized I had just did aspirin. She rushed me to the emergency room. I started vomiting blood as soon as they took me through the doors, and there was a ER pediatrician there and a pediatric nurse, and I kept vomiting blood, and the pediatric physician told my parents that I was going to need blood right away, and he told the nurse to go get blood for me to because I was going to bleed out. And she ran off, and she came back, and she was in tears. She said, I'm sorry, we have no more blood. And the doctor said, there's nothing I can do. Your daughter is going to die. And I could hear this conversation going between them, but I didn't know what any of it meant. And, you know, I was, I was going to shock. I could feel the, the changes in the rush, the light-handedness that you get, the cold, and then the feet. You just feel... Uh, all sorts of strange, weak sensations in your body that's happening. But I kept vomiting blood. I didn't know it was blood because your stomach turns blood black. And when you have a lot of aspirin, it's a blood thinner. That's why you bleed out. But you bleed out through your stomach. So I kept feeling weaker and weaker. And they laid me on the table. And they put a blanket over me, and I didn't know why they put it over my face. I didn't understand what was going on. And I actually heard him make a phone call, and I heard the conversation, but I still I didn't understand what he was saying. But he, I heard him turn to my parents and say, I called the county coroner to come get the body. I don't know how long it will be till he comes, 
It could be a half an hour. It could be all day until he comes. And I had no idea what that meant. I mean, as an adult now, I know who the coroner is, but as a kid, I had no idea. And I experienced the sensation of traveling at an extremely high rate of speed through a tunnel. And the tunnel seemed like it was filled with cobwebs. It was sort of like gray and maybe the sparks, uh, something like that. It, and But after that, I was above my body, and I could see a ray of sunlight coming through the ceiling. And I didn't make any sense to me. Sunlight comes from the sky. How is it shining through the ceiling? Well, I went up through the ray of light, and I could see the patients on the other floors as I was going up the ray of light. And eventually, I could see the roof of the hospital below my feet. And when I looked up at the sky, I thought, am I heading towards the sun? What is this light? And then I look to my left and I see the sun. The sun looks dim compared to the light I'm going to. The light I'm going to is probably, no, thousand times more massive than the sun and much brighter. I mean, the sun just looked like a little dim bulb out there in the bright blue sky in comparison. And as I was heading towards it, I could feel this presence and I knew that in the line was this incredible sentient intelligence that is the highest intelligence, the most advanced intelligence that I can't even convey to you. And as I got closer, I could feel the love from this intelligence. And I would instantly said in my mind, this is all the good. The source of all good is from this intelligence, from this mind. It's the source of everything, of good, of justice, everything that, that we value as good. And I went into that light, and that voice from the light was speaking to me and saying, your body is made out of small matters, uh, small molecules. He said he called them molecules, and they're called cells. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to repair all of those cells because those cells are damaged, and I'm going to send you right back. I didn't know what cells were. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I actually went back exactly the reverse the way I came. I went out of the line. I could see the roof of the hospital. I could go straight down to the floors again. And then I'm hovering over my body. And I, cause this is the first time I looked I'm down on my body. And I realized it wasn't working. I also realized it wasn't really me. It was like a device. It was like a robot. It's like something you get in or to operate. And while I was hovering over it, I hear, get up, get up, get up. And this is from the voice and the light telling me this. And the third time he said, get up, I leaped off the table. And I, I mean, leaped off the table and was in the middle of the room, and everybody was shocked. They didn't understand why they were shocked. I leaped up, and I was smiling because I felt so happy. I never felt so much joy because the light was filled with joy where it could just come from. And I felt great. And the doctor says to my parents, is it all right if I re-examine her? And I said, oh, they said yes. So he re-examined me. And when he re-examined me, his jaw just dropped, and... He said, not only is she fully recovered, but she is 
healthier than most children in her age group. And he went on to say, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. And he was completely dumbfounded. And, but I felt different when I came back. It's like something, it's like, how can I explain this? It was like my perception was opened up on purpose. And I was starting to see things in the spirit world. I was starting to see the things that were haunting the house. I could notice I can feel other people's thoughts and their moods and their energies with even when they're trying to hide them from them from me. I started to have premonitions, uh, prophetic visions. Um, for an example, when I was very young, one of the very first ones I had is a vision right out of the Bible, even before I had any opportunity to study it. When I was a child, uh, there is a vision I had where I'm standing in Israel. And I look to my left, which was the north, and I see this huge army coming. Now, all the army was like, it was like all shadow people. Um, they were like blacker than black. But they were all sorts of modes of transportation. And as they were flying by me, I started to notice blood on the, at pulling out my feet. And I looked out, and the, all the land was covered in blood. And there was somebody standing behind me. It was that same loving presence I had been in the light, but he was in physical form and he had his hand on my shoulder and he was sort of shielding me from the horror I was seeing. And as I looked out across the land, it was completely filled with blood. It was just a sea of blood. And this same vision is also in the Bible in the Old Testament where they talk about an army invading Israel that has yet to occur. And it also appears in Revelation, when they talk about a 200 million army invading the land. And he said, this will happen in your lifetime. And I never forgot that. And it came, there was more information. I'd have it again, only this time I could see the army, and I could see that the army was mainly composed of Chinese. And the Chinese people had prepared a Pacific hour a Pacific well, a Pacific date, a Pacific year, a Pacific date, a Pacific time, down to the hour of when they were going to do this. And they had been preparing an army for for years that would do nothing but take over the Middle East. And their the vision of the communists want to have is to fill the Middle East full of Chinese. And in this and these particular Chinese soldiers had black uniforms with a red insignia on the shoulder. And what I was told was that China would conquer the world, and there would be a terrible time of famine globally, and it'll be an awful oppressive time. And what the same intelligence that I went to that later on in my more recent years as an adult said that he would use China to punish the whole world, but China's reign will be short, because the punishment for China, they will have to reckon with God, and God himself will come down and punish China. And that's what I've been given. Now, that's going to remain to be seen if any of this come true. I certainly hope it doesn't, because it's worldwide war, famine, starvation. I was also showing that there will be a lot of refugees from America, and that the whole Western Hemisphere just looked like from space, it just like it was charred, like 
like wood that's been charred in a fire and nothing to eat and completely lifeless and people being put on these cargo ships as refugees uh, that were Americans and there were no children because the children had either died or had been eaten by the adults and they're being herded up, taken together and moved into Africa where there was more food. Um, I would see things like this and sometimes question it. I say, guys, show me a shine that this is, this is a valid one. Have somebody else, without anybody else knowing what I've seen, tell me that they've seen the same thing. And lo and behold, like a week later, I'm at work, and I had somebody next to me tells a co-worker, hey, I had this vision that the, all the, I've never had vision before, but the whole uh, Western uh, area, the whole Western hemisphere in all the United States was all black and everybody was starving and they were being loaded onto these cargo ships that the, the oil tankers because they didn't have any other ships and all the people were starving and they were all refugees and they're going to Africa and he what he was describing was exactly what I had been shown. So there's some sort of validation there. I hope it's only a possibility and a warning and not a certainty. But in these experiences, so powerful, it seems so certain that this is likely to happen. This is an example. Yeah, well, that's amazing. I spoke to um, a gentleman that I'm hoping to have on the radio show. He's actually fairly well-known, though he doesn't do very many radio shows. He has written several books throughout the years that uh, – um, has had experiences similar to what you just said. It gets um, it gets into a gray area when you start talking about things that come and slight predictions and links and so forth. That you know, years later you put together and you go, you know what, that makes sense now. Didn't make sense right. then. But he's been doing that his whole life. He's almost um, eighty-one years old now and uh, is actually no grandpa to the paranormal he's been doing it most of his life because he's had similar circumstances to you now he doesn't speak to ghosts but things come to him voices and so forth come to him and they tell him about his life future events their lives things along those lines so he doesn't physically see things but every now and then he'll have things come to him he doesn't use a, a Ouija board like some people like to say. He doesn't use any method of mediumology like some people throughout the years claim works and doesn't. Uh, and he's a very stern person that says, look, that's not the way it really works. Right. The way it really works is it just comes to you. I can't explain it. It's just one day it started coming to me. It never shut off. <laughs> right. right. Uh, exactly. But he has, through his books and through some things, predicted things that um, have came to play. <laughs> yeah. I've had well, quite a few things, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm very interested to meet him because I'm very interested in what you're uh, finishing. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I started having things coming true as a small child. And then, but also seeing spirits as well, not showing, not understanding what I was was grasping until I became an adult and kind of understood that the paranormal um, is not only not just was what I experiencing that people do have these things. Like for for example, there's one dream. In fact, I've posted quite a few that's come true. And four years prior to the event, I had dreamed it. I posted it, and basically was telling about the 
crash, a credit crash. If you remember, there was this huge credit crash that happened in 2008, if I remember the exact year. But 2004, I had posted a dream about uh, that this was prophetic because it seems that these prophetic dreams have a very different quality. They're still powerful. It's like you're in the presence of something extremely powerful, almost electrical. And again, I hear that voice, that, that presence that was there at the time when I passed, speaking to me through it, and that I was in a large city, and I was walking through a set of stairs that, for some reason, the number four was very important in it. Four kept repeating four sets of stairs all the time. But when I got to the top and I looked, there were these three shining buildings. And he said, you see these three shining buildings? These represent financial centers, and they're going to crash. And it's and four years to the day that happened was a huge crash, huge credit crash. And other people keep track of this. I wasn't. I just posted and forgot about it. And then other people started emailing me and say, look, did you know that this came true? And exactly. And more than that has come true. I've had, um, I also, uh, there was soon ahead Hurricane uh, Katrina as well, but I didn't quite understand the gist of it. I knew they said that in the dream I was being shown a hurricane and it was laid out on the news program. And the anchor suddenly got real serious, like she was talking directly to me and said, this is going to hit here. This is going to hit here. Nobody believes it will happen here, but it's going to hit here. And I just saw this massive flooding. And the dreams kept reoccurring. And then when current Hurricane Katrina hit, it made sense. And I keep posting them. And they were like, you predicted Hurricane Katrina. I was like, really? It, it seems that way to me that something was going on. But I wish I would have known for sure. And then I had one prediction where I knew that there was going to be riots breaking out in Ferguson. And I had posted a dream about that. As I don't know the exact location, but in nine days from this date, there's going to be a major riot going on. And it's going to be like a civil war is going to be kicking off in nine days. And then nine days later, we had the Ferguson riots. So what I was seeing in the dreams were actually in the was actually coming true. And so, you know, I completely believe, but sometimes when you're, when this yourself, sometimes you grasp something, um, you know, for example, the Haitian earthquake and a premonition about that, and sometimes you're just not sure, you just post it and you put it out there, and, and maybe it'll make sense later in a more concrete fashion, but you wish you could be 100% sure, 100% accurate, because skeptics would like you to be exact dates and times, and that's not something I, that seems to happen in premonitions. You get something that, that you may get a dream or a premonition about, and all of a sudden it comes true, and that lines up with so much detail. It seems more than coincidence. Even little things like, for example, I just purchased a car today, and three, well, three weeks ago I dreamed that there was a car... <laughs> And the car that I thought the car I bought today was in that dream, and it was in a separate showroom. And, and uh, somebody said, well, this car is just for you. Nobody else is supposed to have it. Well, the car that I had was very reliable. I didn't expect it to fail. Well, it did have a good, it did have a horrible start, and I had to get into the car. And what I ended up buying was the car, the exact car that was in my dream. I even had the make, your and model and part of the VIN from the dream. 
and here it is in my driveway. <laughs> so it's it, it just, but it's not exact. It's just it lines up so well. It's it seems prophetic, and it's a prediction, a premonition of some kind that holds together well, but it's not. A hundred percent. If you understand what I'm saying, it's not something like you would take to a skeptic and say, "Oh, this this looks like something came true." But a skeptic might want to have a higher standard of evidence than even some of the scientific community would have when it comes to premonitions or prophecy of any kind. Well, it's time. It, it's kind of hard to do that because, the, to my understanding, from speaking to him and the few people that have explained it, is it's it's not. It's not an exact science, even for the scientists like myself, where you know we, we do look into mathematics, we try to look at um, solving the puzzles and and so forth. You run into a situation where you're going, okay, well, why isn't this here? Well, the answer that comes back most often is, well, it's not an exact science. You don't get all of those answers. You get bits and right. pieces, and eventually those bits and pieces kind of move together. Now, from my standpoint, after doing many, many years of research, it makes sense to me. It's kind of like deja vu and so forth. Many, many people have the ability of these experiences in their mind. Some people unlock them. Some people, they don't, but all of them are bits and pieces. Uh, and I try to tell people, think of it this way. And this has happened to me many, many times. Uh, for instance, uh, when I was 17 years old, I was at a flea market. I was helping other people at the flea market at the time. I had a deja vu moment about three minutes before the person came up. The person came up. She started speaking. I spoke the same words that she spoke. She said, how did you know that? I said, I not only know that. You're about to pull out three three quarters, and you're going to ask me if I have change for the three quarters so you can go to the pop machine. The answer is no, I don't. She was read her uh, bit her day and probably whoa, what's happening here? <laughs> yeah, and she's looking at me going, well, how? I'm I'm just stumped here. I mean, w what's up with that? And the answer is, I have no idea how I knew right. that information. It just came to me a couple of minutes before she showed up. I've mm -hmm. been here before. <laughs> right. right, and it's and it's almost like well. With spirits, so I, it, it does seem a little bit different than that. There is does seem to be a certainty. Uh, sometimes, if they don't communicate clearly, it's not that you're not. Um, it's not your lack of ability. It's sometimes their inability to communicate. If the person on the other uh, person before they died had a hard time communicating, they may have a hard time communicating, figuring out how to communicate in the in the afterlife to you. Uh, but most of the time, it seems like. And over time, would say my abilities have been changed and gotten even more, uh, more broad spectrum and more in tune to different things. When a spirit comes to me, I will experience them as vividly as a living person. And the only way I can tell that their spirit is like my physical eyes may not see them, but everything in my being says that they're there, just as if I could see them and I can see them exactly as if they were standing in front of me in my in front of my eyes, but they're not in front of my eyes, which is hard to it's really hard to explain. It's like a contradiction. But um, for example, the first time I went into a home and did a reading for a home, nobody had told me anything about this because they were wanted to just bring me in without any information just to test my abilities. 
went into this home and there's there's 12 children in the home. There's two adults, four dogs, several rabbits, and it's kind of chaotic with all of that life going around. But yet, the first time I walked into the house, I felt like I was being pulled back in time. And the sensation was like an undertow. If you stand at the ocean and you feel like the water, the waves rush in, but you feel them go out, it's like that sensation. But I felt like I was being pulled back to the 1940s. And I see the kitchen actually change. And it had all 1940s era kitchenware, the kitchen style, 1940s era um, stoves and clocks and sinks and um, even cabinets were from the era. And I see a woman in a dress, but she's sort of in a a floral print dress. It's yellow and white. She's got her hair in the 1940s. So I can see she's middle-aged. She's not um, fat or thin. She's just sort of uh, average build, and she's doing dishes. And I see this lady, and I, we continue our walk. We go down to the basement, and I see her husband downstairs, and she's t- t- telling me about her husband who's downstairs and has a little place that he plays cards in the basement. And she said, my husband likes to smoke. But when I see her husband, her husband doesn't appear as vividly to me as she does. He looks like a shadow person, only all in gray. And I could see his outline, I could see his hat, and I could see a cigar in his mouth. And I, she also told me they had cats. And that the cat, and I, somehow I just knew that the, one of their cats was still coming to the house and brushing up against people as they would come in around the laundry area. We leave and go upstairs, and I got another shadow person upstairs. It just I would see the shadow person, but it, but at that point when I was upstairs, I for some reason I felt like I was seeing a replay of something in the past. It wasn't something that I was happening in the present, but I could I could be in the place of the kids and feel the kids. If I I could always put myself in the position or see through the kids' eyes that were there or had been in that room and seeing a shadow person come in. I also heard a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling between a a male and a female in one of the other rooms. So we finished her walk. So I'm the first person they ask, what did I experience? And I, you know, since I've never done a formal reading, I didn't know how this was going to go. I didn't have any idea. I thought, I'm not like one of those psychics on TV that can tell you everything that's going on in the house. But lo and behold, I turned out to be one of those psychics just like on TV that can tell you everything that's going on in the house. Because um, when I told him about the woman and the man and the caseworker said, yes, back in the 1940s, the prior structure was here, and there was a middle-aged woman and husband. The husband wore a hat. He smoked cigars. The woman and him did not have any children because I didn't see any children around. And they did stay here. And she also talked about children had also seen a shadow person peeking in on them from upstairs. And that the living people, the father and daughter, were arguing frequently. And I knew that's what I was hurting. But hurting, um, hearing, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, hearing um, in the other room. There were past arguments because that where they said they were arguing was in this one particular room. And that's where I heard all this arguing from. Even though it wasn't happening in that moment, I could hear what I knew was something from the past that I was hearing and could hear vividly the argument between the male and the female. I didn't know who it was, but as it turned out, it was a father and daughter. 
that were having some very intense arguments. So everything I had seen had been confirmed independently, and I was surprised, and I shouldn't have been, because I never had my gifts tested in this way. I had always had very personal experience. Spirits would come up to me, and I would they would give me enough information I could go validate it in researches, and it would come up in records, but never had anybody take me to a location and let me do a reading there. And I, I was amazed that this came through so much more clearly than than some of the other ones. The other ones who were with, of course, they have different, seems like they have different uh, abilities, but they, we both saw, one of the other mediums were with us, we both saw the woman, and he, none of the others uh, saw the man, um, but just got a vague impression of him, and, but they did get the shadow presence in the upstairs bedroom, and but none of them picked up the arguing like I did. I was the only one who picked up the arguing. So there was so each of us had very different, um, maybe a different range. You might want to say different key things that we were keying on on. But one of them could actually pick up more personal things with the living that she's very good at keying in at the personal that you wouldn't think anybody could ever know about somebody. She can pick up some very personal things in people's lives in the living and pick those things out. So it was very interesting. And I continued to do this. And I thought, well, I'm an artist. I could, and it was so vivid to me, I can start painting what I'm seeing. So I started to do that. When we went to another location down near the OSU campus area, uh, and Again, I wasn't given any information ahead of time, but the spirit would actually came to me days before, even before I knew I was going, and introduced himself to me. And he was hovering over my bed, and he looked he looked skeletal. He, I mean, he was a skeleton, but wrapped in something like some sort of bag or cloth. And he was sewing himself, sewing himself through it. And he said, "I don't want to look like this. And, you know, this is not." I wasn't treated with thing to do. They they just threw me in a grave and threw dirt on me. That's not how I should have been treated. I was a human being. Don't throw me like that. I was just treat me like I was garbage after I'm dead. And he went on to explain that you know he's he was um, his personality came across as extremely cheerful, very party type of guy. And he lived down around campus because he liked to hang out with the party crowd and with the college kids. And he was about seven foot tall, blonde, sandy blonde hair, blue eyes. And what he explained what happened to him was that him being a heavy drinker uh, actually passed out behind a bar and he passed away from alcohol poisoning. And because he didn't have any money and he didn't really have any family that around that he kept in touch with, he was just buried in a pauper's grave, essentially. He was just put in a bag, just tossing a hole and you know, dirt piled over him, and he, and he said, I didn't deserve that. that, is, that is, it was like he was being tossed away like garbage, and that's why he looked like a skeleton in his afterlife, because he was felt so humiliated in the way that his remains were treated. When well, I, got I, to, I would feel yeah. that way if, uh, yeah. if that was the case. I mean, the honor I'd be treated in some extent like a human being, it, it it's disrespectful for people not to do that. Though, 
times past and ages past people have done that before just bury people in the ground no coffin no anything no respect no funeral it's still a sad thing (laughs) exactly and what i had done before i got there since he came to me days before i actually did his portrait and he was standing next to me and sitting with me and and uh, you know gauging and judging my artwork which you know for a living person sitting there watching you do your artwork uh, sometimes that could be a little unnerving if they're sitting close to you and they're trying to nose in and see what you're doing. But in this case, he was just being very pleasant and sitting next to me and going, oh, that's really good. That's great right there. Oh, yeah, get that. So so I, I did this very, did his portrait as he was in the afterlife. And when I showed it to the uh, people that called us down there, these college kids, they, and one of them said, yes, I've seen him. I've seen him in a dream standing over my bed with his arms crossed. And the other mediums had also saw him. I mean, we had no prior communication, but they went in there and they saw this person. Um, they caught a glimpse of him, but I could not only see him, but talk to him as well. And he could talk to me. And he was down in the basement and his he had his uh, knees up to his, uh, you know, sitting down with his knees um, up by his chin. And he was um, trying to cry because he was just so upset over how he was treated and, you know, he's, and then he showed me more about his life. Um, like the reason why his, he started drinking and he had a little sister who had died before him accidentally about when she was three. Now it seems like it was an accidental drowning because the parents were drinkers and they didn't pay attention to the little girl that she had wandered off to the neighbor's pool and fell in and drowned. And it was quite some time later before they recovered her. And that deeply disturbed him, and he always had this hurt. But what I did offer for him, because I felt like I knew how to help people now, I've had enough experience with the paranormal how to help souls like this. And what I learned, that not only was I given a gift of perception, but a gift of opening doors in the other side, and particularly opening the door to heaven. And I would pray that the heaven, um, the heavenly door would open and I would see the light open and he would look towards that light. And, and I asked him if he wanted to go over and he said, yes, he wanted to go. But what he was talking, what he was saying, what I was hearing, his, when I was hearing his responses, his responses were actually coming through on the spirit box as well. He started to give me a name. So I, he said his name was David, Nathaniel David. And I asked him, is it Nathaniel David or David Nathaniel? He would only give me his first and middle name. He said his last name didn't matter because he didn't have that connection with his family that he should have. And could you clarify for that? And then he comes over on the, on his voice comes over on the um, ghost box and says, Nathaniel David, huh. as clearly as can be. <laughs> I mean, super clear. And then we started to have a conversation. I said, we would have been great friends in college, wouldn't we? And he said, yeah. And then he says that all the kids come down, and they start talking to him, and he starts responding to them and because they're college kids. He likes to hang around them. So he's, he's, I said, you really like to party a lot and drink. And he says, yeah, let's get drunk. And then all the kids are like, yay, get drunk. <laughs> and uh, finally, I said, do you really, really want to cross over? And he said, yes, I don't want to be like this. So when I opened the door to heaven, and it's like a – a bright light came through the wall because the, the heaven can open in any space. And 
the bright light came through, and I see a group of people come for him, and they kind of wrapped his arms, their arms around him, and they kind of, kind of guide him away. Well, one of the people that came that was hugged him, I knew, was his sister, who had passed when she was probably two or three years old. But she came to him in the afterlife as an adult, and she they were holding each other and. The more that they moved towards the light, the more human he looked, and he looked like himself. He looked healthy. He looked happy. And then they all walked off together, and when they walked off into the light, I could feel that door close. And I got to see where they're going. And it's like when I'm with this gift, it's like I'm, I'm giving the full view of the other side, especially when I'm sending somebody over or helping the crossover or current in the crossover, I will see what that light presents. Sometimes it'll present what it will present whatever to them that makes them happy and comfortable that you feel that they feel like it's a healing place to be or the place they've always wanted to go. Well, that's a very interesting thing, actually. I know we're coming down to the last five minutes of the show. Real quickly, everybody, you're listening to BBS Radio. BBS Radio is one of the largest digital radio stations here in the United States of America. A little put out to Donald, as we do always. If you're looking for the best, go with BBS. Um, NICAM and Generation Truth will actually be at Moonville Tunnel tomorrow for pre-prep on filming. We're putting a piece together for Truth and Legends. I'll get you more details on that later. The premiere of Rosa Lee from Christopher Maggard will be in Dayton, Ohio. I do encourage you, if you haven't got tickets to it, feel free to do so. I know he still has a limited amount, but it is a premiere that hasn't been seen before and claimed to be very scary. I will be there. Santiago Cirillo will be there. The cast members will be there, including some fairly famous names. So by all means, jump in and watch the movie, get some autographs, and have some fun. Let's talk about where... The listeners, if they need your help or they have more questions, Angela can find you. Well, you can go to my Facebook page. If you just type in Angela Boley, portrait artist, my name will come up in Facebook. It's uh, My last name is spelled B as in Bravo, O like Oscar, O like Lima, E like Echo, Y like Yankee. And you can just type in my name, Angela Boley, portrait artist. And then my Facebook page will come up. And you can message me through my Facebook page. Um, or you can email me. I do have an email address that I use exclusively for readings and for people that are seeking me out for artwork. And it's Angela Boley is pure of art at gmail.com. And that's art, A-R-T. Um, Angela Boley is pure of art. So at gmail.com, you can email me there and I'll be more than happy to reply to you. Or if you message me on Facebook, I'll reply as soon as I can, and I'll be more than happy to help you. Well, we'll be glad to have you back on here. I know that we didn't we didn't even get into a percentage of what you and I can talk about. So by all means, message me, Angela, anytime. Or um, I think most of the people that you hang out with have my phone. So if you ever want to discuss it uh, when we're not at Post Town or somewhere where I run into you, you're welcome to give me a call. Next week's show – We are going to have a little bit of a reversal just so that everybody knows if everything works out right. I had the great privilege of meeting a very young, very talented card reader, and I know it's not regularly what we do here on Paranormal Truth and Reality, but I think it's important that everybody gets a chance to talk about their experiences. Even though I'm scientific, that doesn't mean everybody has to be, and everybody has their own belief systems, and she's a wonderful lady, so I encourage you to jump in next week. Uh, You've been listening to Angela Bola here at Paranormal Truth and 
and Reality with the host, Christopher Houston. It's been a wonderful, wonderful uh, conversation. I'm going to end this show the way I end it every single week, and that is in the truth or in, in the paranormal. I apologize. Truth should always be that reality. Now, of course, obviously, science and logic and reading and history is all a part of that for a true paranormal study person. But the human nature is also very, very important. You met one person today that is a very delightful lady, a wonderful human being, and it had some excellent experiences that you can learn a lot from. I encourage you when you're out in the community and you're talking to these people, don't be close-minded. Don't think that everybody's opinion doesn't matter. And listen to them because every now and then you'd be surprised what you can learn. That's our show tonight. We'll talk to you next week. Have a very wonderful weekend.